0: Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Kelly Reichardt, along with an essay on her latest, First Cow. Also, an interview with the directors of the fiery genre mashup Baccarat, Michael Kresge on The Perseverance of Cinema, Amy Taubin on Sundance Highlights, and Pietro Marcello on the inspiration behind his Martin Eden. Support independent, nonprofit film journalism today at filmcomment.com. <laughs>
1: Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nicholas Rapold and I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment. Staying at home is a global phenomenon in these difficult times, as we all find ourselves with a lot more indoors time and anxiety on our hands. For our latest daily edition of the Film Comment Podcast at home, we go to Brazil. Critic and programmer Ella Bittencourt wrote our interview feature on Baccarat in our March-April issue. And now the film's story of collective action, state of siege, and inequality feel ever more urgent. We talked about the situation in Brazil and also what Ella has been watching. I was joined again by assistant editor Devika Girish. Let's go to the conversation and thank you from all of us for your support. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name's uh, Nicholas Rapold. I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment. And this is another in our daily edition of the podcast, the at-home edition, the podcast you can listen to at home. Of course, you probably already were doing that. Uh, The difference is that we are also at home, as we've been for a couple of weeks, and we've been calling people up and making them tell us about what they've been watching and what they've been doing and generally keeping us company. Uh, We hope we've been keeping you company too, Um, and today, uh, along with, um, well, Devika, are you here?
2: I'm still here. I'm still (laughs) trapped in the podcast booth that you (laughs) left me at.
1: No, No, for the record, (laughs) Devika is free to roam within a 10-foot radius. Oh, yes.
2: Um, (laughs) Wow.
3: (laughs) The sense of liberty must be bewildering.
1: (laughs) Wait. (laughs) Hark, I hear a new voice. Who is our guest, is our guest for today? Please, Oh my God, introduce I totally herself.
3: jumped in. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, uh, Ella Bittencourt, and um, I'm a contributor to Film Comment and a film critic and programmer originally from Eastern Europe, lived in New York for more than two decades, and now currently in Sao Paulo, Brazil where well, I am well, at right now.
1: <laughs> yes. And well welcome. Um we were actually just on the podcast um in Somewhat Brighter Days um talking about baccarat
3: Oh yes, that's right. Somewhat um, other time. It's although true. I just rewatched it. It's kind of amazing that it's the kind of film that that grows on you even more in dark days. So.
1: Oh yeah. So yeah, I'm um,
2: to I'm planning a rewatch this week with uh you know, with the people I'm living with right now who haven't seen it. And I'm really looking forward to seeing it again. Uh, cause you know, I saw it at Toronto and it really, I, I want to rewatch it in the mood that I'm now in.
3: <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, every single, I have to tell you, I'm probably overdoing it cause I'm keeping my mind locked in some kind of zone. I should probably get out soon, but um uh, <laughs> But yeah, every time, like, I just keep on thinking about the film, you know, I mean, I'm in Sao Paulo, so like, for example, I live in this really large building, and you may have heard that, you know, the, the people in uh, the Brazilians in many Brazilian cities are protesting against Bolsonaro's actions, or rather his total missteps on on the handling of coronavirus, um, on, on the disaster, and um, and the crises, and, and so they're coming out and they're, you know, banging banging pots and panels. So all my neighbors, like, daily, at I think 8.30 p.m., for example, are, are banging panels. And when that happens, like, I just can't think of, like, I can't stop thinking about some of the scenes from, you know, Bakura, what it's like when the mayor shows up
2: mm, and just yeah. has this
3: complete disdain for... The way that people are people are trying to organize and so on, and um, and this kind of dynamic between what happens, you know, uh, populist polit- politicians that are just really unfit to to govern, especially in times of crisis. So, and even right. at the other day, you know, we're allowed. I mean, we are social distancing. I mean, the city is on a lockdown. Uh, we have a mayor that just like. I mean, I think it's very parallel. I mean, Sao Paulo is the size, you know, in terms of population is comparable with New York. I think the greater Sao Paulo is comparable with, you know, the the New York, the greater um, city of, of New York in terms of, mm. of number of people. And like New York and the dynamic with Trump, we have a lot of attrition between, you know, our mayor... And our governor who are out there saying, no, we are going on a lockdown and Bolsonaro, who's basically, you know, taking off his mask, going to mass meetings, incentivizing people to come out in the streets to be in huge crowds. So it's really frightening. I mean, we're living some, Mm. some absolutely frightening times. I mean, of course, just like U.S., we have the Ministry of Health that came out and said very clearly, they shall not pass. We have a lot of people I think in the in the economics community that are saying no, everybody understands the benefits of the lockdown, why do we have to do it now to avoid mm-hmm. the disaster later. So I think there are a lot of parallels, but yeah, but the darkness of Bauo I think kind of lingers.
1: I, I was just saying you do have but you do have uh, enough enough people that it, just in the general populace who are who know what the right thing to do are I mean are, in are Paulo in
3: Sao Paulo it seems yeah. we do. Um, Although, because Bolsonaro has been incentivizing people to like come out and saying Brazil cannot stop. And so there was some kind of Mm. like a car parade, um, you know, um, on I think Uh. one of our main avenues where like, you know, these cars come out and say Brazil will not stop and hooray, blah, blah, blah. But most of us here in the city are absolutely on lockdown. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think the vast majority of people understands that, but, you know, the other day, because we're allowed to like, um, I imagine as New Yorkers, um, are allowed to like, if you're going to a park and you by yourself or Mm -hmm. you're with the partner who's living with you, you're, you're allowed to do like small activities, like a jog or a walk. And I was in this huge, we have a stadium actually, that's in our neighborhood. That's being transformed into an outdoor hospital. So mm-hmm. it's going to be, you know, receiving patients. Um, I'm sure very soon. But around there you can jog. And I was out there the other day and there was like a drone flying uh-huh. around. And I said, Oh my <laughs> god, bakurao. Everything is just you know.
1: Everything you is bakurao.
3: Everything is bakurao. But so I'm really glad. I mean, this is just maybe this sounds like one more pitch, but I'm just so happy that there was a way for the you know, Kino Marquee initiative. And that people can go online and support local cinemas and also continue to watch films that some of the films that were so abruptly pulled out.
1: Yeah, no, it's been a great initiative and it's been great seeing, um, you know, the distributor and and theaters kind of all working together um, and and giving their audiences something to watch, some way of coming together, even if it's just um, just virtually.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, and who knows if they watch enough Baccarat, may, maybe it'll uh, it'll uh, people will be uh, incentivized to uh, I don't know revolt in some way.
3: <laughs>
2: well, I, I think or and, at least know, to I stay mean, in and watch I think movies. yeah, <laughs>
3: well, definitely stay in. Definitely, that's mm-hmm. that's the message, and I think a lot of Brazilians understand it. and I think Brazilians across different backgrounds understand it. So there's no question about that. But, uh, but revolt is afoot. I mean, like, it's just the discontent, the anger at mishandling. And also because, you know, um, the population density is so great in Brazil in certain areas, and people can't afford, I mean, if this really hits massively there are a lot of families that, um, you know, can't afford to isolate. I mean, it's just going to put such an onus on a lot of families that won't be able to do it properly, because there's just there are other sanitation issues. There are other issues of overcrowding, uh, you know, there's poor healthcare system issues. I mean, it's just going to pile up. And so I think that there's this also this sense of urgency, that this is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hitting us, but we see the example of other countries. The testing is rolling in. We see certain areas of the market pulling together, trying to build ventilators, trying to make tests available. So it's early enough in Brazil that it's an opportunity that must not be squandered. Right. I think the spirit of solidarity is also like I mean goes hand in hand, and I think I see a lot of that in Brazil. It just must not be squandered. You cannot allow some of yet like you know, President Bolsonaro basically ruined this one chance that Brazil has.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, well, we're all we're all pulling pulling for you, also pulling yeah. well, for uh, for us too. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yes,
2: well, absolutely. This is one fight that is so truly global that you know every everything that's at stake for you is at stake for us and so on. So yeah, no,
3: absolutely. Um, I mean and I, I, believe me, I'm, I'm I'm on the phone with my family in New York and New Jersey daily. So yeah, mm-hmm. I
2: mean
3: yeah. that's the other thing for a lot of us that are have like hyphenated identities and hyphenated lives. I mean, I saw every your comments as well about your parents and, you know, and thinking about your family and uh, yeah. And so we're, yeah. We're, we're, we're torn, we're torn between, you know, the the wave of coronavirus in a place like New York and then Sao Paulo. But I guess it
2: also reminds us how connected we are. It's funny that self-isolation for a lot of us means hyper-connectedness, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, yeah. in many ways, like even though we're, uh, kind of solitary and not moving too much. We're all con. I'm like connecting more with friends and family all over the globe than I usually do, right. both out of concern and the need for that comfort and connection. Sure. Um, and I, I don't know. This is a very strange time, I think, in, in just contemporary modernity that we'll probably be unpacking for a while. Without yeah. that.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's almost a, um, I don't know, not uh, uh, there's almost like some sort of it's it's tailor made. It's it's like almost like a, an experiment being conducted on us. It's like, oh, you're complaining, you're all too involved in your phones, and and uh, okay, well, what if that was the only way? This you is had all to you contact? got. Yeah, right. what if that's all you got? Right. And oh, you're 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 complaining that uh you know the democracy or any democracy is not working well what if you were forced to band together you know it's almost Mm -hmm. like an old it's like an i don't know some sort of old testament god or maybe new testament God (laughs) inflicting a scenario on us all um but yeah but um we uh, we're we're gonna turn into uh
3: (laughs) we're gonna turn into the escapist
1: yeah
2: right (laughs)
1: Yeah, we'll take a, take a hard, it's hard left. It's always
2: fun um, when we do these because we talk about the state of the world and then, Nick, and you then have to say, somehow I'll make a that. segue <laughs> right. into the the world of movies, which feels so... I mean, it feels almost trivial to go from there to cinema, but um, as I think many of these discussions have uncovered, it's, it's not trivial at all and um, it's something a lot of us have been really clinging to, so...
3: Yeah. Yeah. And also maybe from the onslaught of news when it's all bad, when it's all bad news, you know, I mean, I think that um, we will probably will take us some time just to evaluate what kind of, you know, pressure and just psychological turmoil this has been through a lot of people, but I just... I don't have television, for example, so I'm not submitted to the 24-hour news cycle, but I submit myself to it willingly in a way because I'm just no longer just reading New York Times and just reading New York. I'm reading everything I can get my hands on. So, you know, every day I feel like I go through this elaborate cycle of and then I have to read the Washington Post and I need to to read the Guardian and I have to see if CNN said something new and I have to, I just, it's like I'm looking for the new and there's just more of the old and bad and so at some point you just say okay you know f-u-c-k here's the weekend let's do
0: movies (laughs)
3: Yeah,
1: it's it's you need need the movies help force you out of of that that pattern yeah and to to look look away look at something else quite yeah and
3: maybe just focus that you know kind of have that moment of stepping away to then come back to this clean slate and say there are things that are within my control like calling family and friends and staying in touch and, you know, and, and, and knowing what the procedures are and how I need to hygienize my bathroom and my kitchen and so on. But there are other things that are not within my control. And and there's that moment where I think you have to just kind of let go and, and look for some kind of a new balance, whatever that might be. So anyway, I'd like to think that movies are a part of that kind of filtering. Yeah.
1: So so what what movies have have you been watching, or have you have you turned to in in these trying times?
3: Yeah. So it's funny because I am not like I, I I have never been strong on comedies, and so I feel like I locked myself out of a lot of joy. Uh, but <laughs> but it turns out but it turns out that I'm that. It turns out that film noir, I think, is really kind of one of my default uh, comfort viewing, you know. And uh, and, uh, and I was thinking about that because I remembered when I, you know, interviewed Luis Espina, the the Colombian filmmaker who passed away not long ago, and he said, you know, I think maybe I love film noir because it's pessimistic and I'm a pessimist. And so it agrees with me. And, and I think that's part of it, but I think that that's not all of it. I think that. Because film noir is sometimes like nihilism just for sports, you know, for fun. I mean, for, for style. For, for, it's for like, style, yeah, yeah. For a certain, yeah, mm. yeah. And I feel like what I love about film noir is that also I, I like to see that the twists of the plot, you know, I'd like to see how a filmmaker and a storyteller who does it really well kind of lays it out for you. And then to see the screws turning, I mean, it's like watching a beautiful mechanism in a way, I think for me, and there's a lot of joy out of that. And there's always this feeling, this tension between action and, you know, and the plotting, and then there's then, then, then the sense of a fate of doom. And yeah, I love it. So I'm just kind of like, fall into
1: noir yeah well i guess it's also interesting because i'm not the first person to say this but noir also a lot of it was coming out at an extremely almost equivalently stressful and and cataclysmic time in history you know in the in the 1940s
3: no you're right
1: Um, and it's funny that we can watch it now and it can seem like It's, it's, you know, they're very stylish and, 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 and they're kind of, yeah, there's a nihilism that seems appealing, but I, 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 it's, it's also interesting to think of someone watching it then and, 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 and what, how it served them and almost get into that mindset. I mean, you're seeing maybe in film Noir at the time, you, you kind of were seeing a world that seemed darker in a Mm -hmm. way that corresponded to how you felt at the time, you know? In a way, Mm. a film noir can be like more of a work of realism at a time when the world seems over overtaken by the most like nefarious forces at times and things you can't control. Um, Oh, you're absolutely
2: right. And also, I mean, classical or sort of proper noir is retro for us at this point, I think. And so there's Mm -hmm. kind of a veneer of nostalgia. (laughs) To it as well uh, maybe
3: but also like I think that um, as they said I don't I think that some of it filters and maybe we're not as connected to that original setting um, and the sociological or historical background maybe some of it kind of like you know is left aside and and so we notice the form more but I think with a lot of great war, there's there's a lot of it you know like I just was watching uh, Joseph Losey, and I guess this is a retrospective that that was on movie in two thousand eighteen, but it's actually in Latin America, at least in Brazil, right now streaming. Mm. Some of those films are streaming now. So I just watched his The Servant, and. You know, and that's and it's written by you know Harold, Harold Pinter and Robin Morgan, based on Morgan's novel uh, with the same title, and and so that's on, on in many ways it is a it is a film noir. I mean, it's this kind of psychological noir with this wealthy Brit hires himself a servant who then kind of ingratiates him to himself into this setting but there's also a lot of tension and it kind of like upends all the social relationships um Mm. and in very nefarious ways but i was thinking i was really struck by that film because even though it 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 is a classic noir to me at the same time it, it what it's talking about is that with world war ii a certain world ended you know that the the that the war was this kind of equalizing factor where this feudal world of men menserv- servant and master, I mean, it was just one more step towards kind of dissolving that relationship. Yeah. It's not to say that there isn't going to be an employer employee relationship ever again, but rather that just the way that the certain attitudes around how that relationship was going to be kind of dissolved. Um yeah. just because society was changing in World War two and the kind of galvanizing and also dark force of the war I mean I think yeah. you, you you really feel it in the film you know
1: yeah there there's a definite feel just also yeah that there are no that the boundaries are dissolving, the kind of ground is shifting beneath your feet um and that and that could go uh, that instability could also go any which direction you know it's it's yeah it's 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 interesting because there is the possibility of you know the hierarchy of some way being dismantled but it's also deeply unsettling because it unleashes some kind of primal forces and also it's funny that's also basically movie that's very indoors right if i'm remembering
3: very indoors you are so right and the cinematography (laughs) is so claustrophobic yeah. Yes, it's all indoors. You're meant to be in this environment that, like, you can't. Yes, it gets into your head precisely because it's indoors, and they're all like cooped up in this yeah. house, you know, with all these like noises that you hear in the other room. And so they infect, affect you in, in a way. And it's beautifully shot. And the other thing is that it's funny how, and this is what, what Devika says, I mean, of course, we put. We put our own new spin or like we have a new lens because, you know, a movie like Parasite comes along and like suddenly it almost seems Mm -hmm. like it's a little tint on your glasses and you see everything through the layer of Parasite. So like when we started watching The Servant, my husband and I turned to each other and said, oh, my God, that's so Parasite, you know. (laughs) <laughs> um, and there are so many moments in it no there's a scene in in the servant where um where basically the 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 employers what's his name tommy i think no is it tommy or tony or well anyway the employer's girlfriend it just is really i mean she picks a fight with the servant barrett from the very start for like no reason just finds him too cocky maybe or just too arrogant or whatever it is but she's doing it in a very kind of nasty manner and then in one scene when she senses that she has some power over him senses his vulnerability as kind of a way to almost annihilate him in that moment she asks Mm. him if he uses deodorant you know she's (laughs) basically telling him Like you're not fit to be around. You stink. I mean, that is so parasite. I mean, that is
1: parasite. Yeah, that is
3: parasite. It's a brilliant film. I yeah, yeah. I I loved it so much, and it was so. I would be very curious to know a little bit more of like what Pinter's work was like on Mm. it, because his, you know, his work as a playwright is so bleak, and he has such a crisp. I mean, the language is often so more like Beckett. I mean, it's got this very absurdist, very clipped way of speaking. It's not naturalist. so And that's kind of transferred to cinema and mixed with an original novel by Morgan. I mean, I'm just fascinated by this whole film, I must say.
0: Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Kelly Reichardt, along with an essay on her latest, First Cow. Also, an interview with the directors of the fiery genre mashup Baccarat, Jay Hoberman on Thomas Heise's essay film, Heimat is a Space and Time, Michael Kresge on The Perseverance of Cinema, Amy Taubin on Sundance Highlights, and Pietro Marcello on the inspiration behind his Martin Eden. Plus, Spike Lee's trusted costume designer Ruthie Carter, Isabel Hooper in Lulu, George Romero's Lost Film, and much more. Support independent, nonprofit film journalism today at filmcomment.com.
1: Pinter is such an interesting playwright for yeah. for just having this language that is almost like the language of of unwilling confinement where communication is breaking down. It's like the way you would talk if you've locked in a room with someone you're intensely uncomfortable with. No, you know, absolutely. It's, po- it's pockmarked with silences yeah. and there's a constant power struggle, either. And always getting under
3: someone's the other's skin. No, absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah. Which actually connects it a little to Polanski for me. I mean, because I feel, you know, early on in his works, they mm. they often get boiled down to like these two, three maybe even just one person struggles to like knife
3: in the water where the basically exactly. the boat is an equivalent of a room that you're kind of right. locked inside of yeah yeah oh, and even okay. his
1: his short films before then the i forget the one with the wardrobe which is sort of a comic short where it's like the this moving of this piece of furniture but it, it turns into this just ballet of like power relations and mm-hmm. it just seems very embedded in each of their their worldviews but yeah pinter and the servant definitely i yeah although he's adapting it definitely seems you know of, of a piece with pinter's
3: yeah with it's, it seems like one. in some of those dialogues you know like there's definitely a, a mark and also because that relationship as a kind of spirals into this kind of very parasitic and Uh, relationship where the servant is increasingly in control and it's very manipulating and he brings this outside woman that you know he says is his sister but is not and so then there's kind of sexual triangle I mean it's just and um, there's there's in it so it becomes more and more absurd and I think that's where you feel like Pinter definitely comes in
1: yeah yeah Yeah. what a great film the (laughs) servant Joseph Losey, yeah some uh some uh, comfort viewing (laughs) just yeah no
3: comfort viewing no I know I didn't I didn't manage to go for any of that because then when I (laughs) saw the first Lozzi I said you know this is such an exciting discovery I had not seen any of his films before Mm -hmm. or I had Mm -hmm. oh I know I may have seen one of them I think I forget the title but um and so I immediately said, no, I'm just going to go ahead and find another title. And so I downloaded Mr. Klein.
1: Oh. I uh-huh. uh, thinking
3: of his film noir, but kind of not knowing just how dark the World War II setting would yeah, be. Even,
1: even more explicit story. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's. Can you can you recap? It's, it's sure. A little...
3: So okay. So in this, um, so it happens. I think it's 1942 in Paris,
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh, and it's the Vichy government that you know is now increasingly, um, um, you know, gearing to. Um, to round up its its Jews and and sent them off to concentration camps. And so you have Mr. Klein, who's played by Alain Delon, who is this, um, you know, well-to-do art dealer who very clearly and knowingly buys art on the super cheap and offering unfair prices to desperate French Jews who must now get rid of all of their possessions, hoping to either escape or to have a bit of cash in them. But what ends up happening is that um, one day, um, a Jewish publication arrives at his doorstep, and he says, well, what do you mean? This makes no sense. And he starts inquiring, why would he be receiving a Jewish publication? He goes to the office, and he says, well, sorry, Mr. Klein, but it must be someone else using your name, and then he goes to the local city administration to say, who's this other Mr. Klein. And so basically, he just spirals into this morbid fascination with this other Mr. Klein um, to the point where he forgets his own safety and you know, and the situation at the same time spirals out of control absolutely. and and you know he ends up being, Rounded up, or rather, in his pursuit of the other, Mr. Klein ends up mm. being rounded up into into the transport. Um, so yeah, I didn't, I haven't done very well with the. comfort. My <laughs> husband looked at me and he said, "You're not doing very well with the on the on the comfort." But I just, um, but it's such a it, Nabokovian plot. It's mm. such a. Mm-hmm. I, it made me want to reread that Nabokov. Your novel where, you know, where a guy kind of assumes an identity or rather plots his own suicide. I don't know, something about obsession and yeah. this question of identity. And, um, and it's kind of interesting that Losey, I think this is a later film, so he did Mr. Klein after he did The Servant and work with Morgan. But it turns out, I started reading that Morgan had um, like a dissociative disorder where huh. you know where you're Another. i guess you have moments where you are the other i mean you have this mm. constant fear of of being then you know more than one person and, and you're kind
1: of estranged from yourself yeah yeah or you just huh.
3: like more than one person literally i think that's kind
2: of what it is
3: huh. um
2: and, and i mean the like, servant, it's almost like a, i haven't seen it but as you described it it seemed like uh, that's also like a persona swap kind of
3: Oh, yeah, no, totally. Right? Okay, yeah. right, not only like master, you know, servant, but yeah, totally. And also because it's it also has very strong, like, homosexual undertones. And so there's this absolutely, this almost masochistic, um, um, you know, pull and tug between acknowledgement and denial, you and the other, and to what extent you have the fear and suppression of the other. So, I mean, in Mr. Klein, I mean, even though Morgan is like completely non-involved in this project, but I just would like to think that something of Morgan's life and uh, rubbed off on him because the most fascinating part to me of Mr. Klein and how this narrative goes is that they, that he plays with this idea that Klein somehow, while he's investigating this other guy and this other guy, the imposter, seems real enough and he's plotting some kind of like resistance movement stuff against the Vichy and so on. But at the same time, it's almost like Alan Delone could be Mr. Klein and this other Mr. Klein as well. Like There's just these very odd moments where, for example, the, the art dealer finds the other guy's dog in the street and this dog immediately follows him home like follows the art dealer as if he's actually the other Mr. Klein and he's Mm. the rightful owner Mm. and so there are all these very mysterious things of that are almost about questioning identity and I don't know
0: Right. I'm still thinking yes. about that
3: film. Um, I have to say that um, Mr. Losey has done well by me in terms of <laughs> just kind of trippy yeah. escapes that linger. You know.
1: Yeah, that's well. I guess when when you're home with your your yourself and <laughs> like yes. that, that's yes, <laughs> that's what exactly. we all we all fall into. I, I think. Yeah,
2: I mean, there's um, also this uh, the idea of interchangeability of social classes. I think, mm-hmm. especially. in in moments of um, large scale, sort of global crisis, uh, sure. like the present one or like war, because this is so random. But when you were talking about the servant and sort of making the connection to parasite, I, I thought of this new trend in India where, yeah. because of this police enforced lockdown, Uh, There's all these Bollywood celebrities taking videos of themselves doing daily household chores, like washing their dishes or, um, you know, just sweeping the floors. And they post them on social media as like a tribute to the maids and the help that uh, they're not they don't maybe have access to right now. And it's like this it's this very perverse, you know, spectacle that is created out of. I don't know them having to like take on these roles. I guess that uh, they otherwise wouldn't, if it were not a pandemic, um, mm-hmm. and and sort of yeah. like and uh, creating and turning that into some kind of like uh, and valorizing themselves for it. I guess. Uh, and how
1: has that gone over?
2: I mean, I people that I know have not taken S- <laughs> it well. But, you know, I mean, these sorts of publicity campaigns and uh, so-called like uh, humanitarian efforts usually kind of go down well, right? They sell well. And that's kind of uh, alarming to me personally. But it also did Mm. make me think of, uh, you know, that obviously made me think of Parasite because everyone was, there was this one video that an actress posted and everyone underneath was, you know, making references to Parasite. And asking <laughs> if she needed like an art tutor, that sort of thing. Um, right. And it did make me, I, I don't know, think about the anxiety that I think people, the real anxiety that people now have of class structures changing. That's an actual possibility now um, because this is the event we're dealing with is actually so large scale and so sort of uncontrollable in many ways. Says- that it could lead to that sort of upheaval. And you can already see those in power sort of scrambling to, to protect and preserve their own places. Yeah, sure. And at the same yeah. time,
3: though, there's a lot of worry that, on the other hand, a pandemic, as, as, like, as much as symbolically it's an equalizer, on the other hand, it, it's so much in practical terms the opposite, I mean, I just think that you know that's my right. worry with Brazil that the poor really um, suffer the consequences exponentially to just sort of a larger extent, uh, yeah. and then in fact, in an already polarized society, the likelihood of the gap of of the gap between the rich and poor is it, it actually expands enormously. I mean, this is the real danger that we had ahead ahead of us, that it it may really just explode of exponentially. Course, yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, with unemployment and just yeah, I mean, uh the very sad fact that those who are materially better off can actually you know, actually have a better chance of yeah, surviving sure. this. I yeah, mean when yeah.
3: you're when you read all this I mean like when you when you when you read all this onslaught of Of just terrifying news, and then you open, you know, a newspaper, and there's an article that says the rich are altering their vacation plans somewhat. You know, somewhat, uh, with you know, getting on their private jets. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No. It's it's that's it's really it's very true. You know, I mean, the, the the most basic luxury right now is being able to leave. (laughs) <laughs> and then another flex is being able to get your own corona test right away. Oh God! So sure. right. <laughs> right, which can be a matter of uh, yeah, life, life or death as well. And so yeah. it does become very stark. And I mean, just on the flip side, uh, on, a more, on a positive side, it, it also becomes stark. How many people ha- are make sacrifices every every day? It's you know already, and now it's very starkly like life or death sacrifices that they're making yeah, that we, no, expect, you know. Oh, at all yeah. levels it, it's almost it's almost like all of a sudden across the world it's just there's a highlighter on everyone who makes all, all these sorts of sacrifices for the, for the, for everyone all the time yes. um, and 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 now it's come right right down to life life or death um you so, know yeah, um
2: i this discussion is uh, making me think of um ella a couple of movies mm-hmm. that you posted about recently i have Tell me. Uh, this makes me sound very stalkery, but I I follow Stalk your away. Twitter because I'm interested such in your opinions. big distance
3: between us. It's flattering to be stalked at such a distance. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, I enjoy your opinions on movies. So um, I mm-hmm. noticed that you posted that you watched, uh, you did like a double feature of Pather Pachali oh, and yes. Uskiroti. Roti. I yes. haven't seen them recently, but I was kind of thinking about so- that. Uh, no, absolutely.
3: And... I'm so glad you brought it up because other than like the the escape stuff, of course. I mean, like any good cinephile, I know pressure is on, but uh, I have a I have an enormous list of you know films that you know you feel you do feel silly not having watched. I must say that *Pride and is one of them. Has always been one of them for me. So I just finally watched it this weekend, and. I mean, you're you're more equipped than me to talk about the film at length, but it's just such a gorgeous, gorgeous film. And I was really struck by it in terms of what a film it is about. I yeah, I, w- I wanna I want to use that word solidarity. I mean, it's really because for me, what and and this is probably because I'm reading it at this time and then in this through this prism again, but um. It's fascinating because I read that it, when it first came out in 1955, it apparently was, was rushed in um, uh, the editing because he wanted to make sure. And how we can pronounce the, the full name of the director for me so that we don't mispronounce it?
2: Uh, Satyajit Ray. But Satyajit I- Ray. Yeah, but yeah, I'm Satyajit, not right? Bengali, so I feel like there might be no, <laughs> listeners so that, who I'm might sure. say that even no, I'm. No, but I'm, I'm sure all... it's just
3: a question of sound. I actually played yeah, it yeah. a few
2: times today,
3: and I was like, "Am I getting the, you know, am I getting the sound right of his first name, Satyajit Ray?" Um, so um, I read this essay on Criterion that that he was apparently rushing for it to be shown at MoMA. So when it was first shown at MoMA, it was shown without subtitles. And that just kind of blew me away. And of course, I know that, you know, back then, I mean, Cinematic Française was doing it as well. It's, it was kind of more of a, I, don't, I wouldn't say common practice, maybe, but it was more of a practice to just say, well, if we can only show this film without subtitles, then that's what we're going to do. Um, and that's kind of amazing. I mean, on one level, I thought, oh, what a privilege it is to actually watch this film without subtitles. Because it's mm. so gorgeously shot, it's so rhythmic, you know. I mean, and and sometimes very overtly because you have the music of Ravi Shankar, and there are certain scenes that are clearly choreographed and synchronized uh, synchronized to the music, for you to you know to, to the sound. And there are there are a lot of nature scenes like that. Um, but on the other hand, you know, the, the movement of the people and the, it's just so choreographed. And on the other hand, I thought, well, okay, but I think maybe if you saw it for the first time, you might have missed what an incredible film it is about this village's social structure and about how, on one hand, very realistically, you know, what, what a tremendous effort and despair... Uh, and sometimes inability to connect the poverty and you know and and then there's uh there's a huge storm also that like washes almost this house away and um you know it's basically i mean to summarize the the plot it's a it's a it's a family in rural India where the father needs to go to the city and he's a playwright and he composes plays, but eventually for them to have any money, he goes away to the city and he kind of stays there for quite long because he's not having any luck finding work while the mother really stays behind and with these two kids and and holds this whole social structure together by, you know, the neighbors helping her out and her first concealing how difficult it is, but then getting some support despite her pride and so on and so on. And I thought, wow, without the dialogue, there's just so much in this film. That you're not going to know like how this kind of heartbeat in these individual scenes goes from let's say these very kind of typical your neighbors who are you know living too close together and are maybe a little proud and are saying your daughter's stealing our mangoes and you know from that to then saying oh I'm so sorry please take a, a basket of mangoes with you because you know having seen what has happened to all of us and and the mm. and the horrible burden this has had on you, you know, I've never given you anything. I mean, it's just such a yeah. So I I thought about this film a lot. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, Dan, I, you I, I just,
2: well, I I thought. I mean, that was a really beautiful description. The reason our discussion brought these that film, and also I I feel like we should shout out the other film, uh, our daily bread, yes. by money call as well. Who yes, I'll, is I'll mention known, but um, also. You know, just a a legend. And the reason I thought of them is because they're such great films about um, being sort of being living a rural life at this transitional moment of modernity and like quote unquote development and having like different sense of time and the sense of disconnection. And that's what I was thinking about, you know, when we are talking about being isolated and distanced right now, we're also hyper-connected. And I I have, I mean, there's two images, one from Patra of the kids in the field waiting for the train to go by. Mm -hmm. And it Kiroti, of course, uh, the lead character waiting for the bus, for waiting for the truck, uh, because her husband's a truck driver and she's waiting by the side of the road to give him food every day. And right. you know, just these images of um of being kind of stuck in place and time and waiting for some kind of mode of connection to the city, to urban life, to life that moves faster.
3: And I think also about resilience. I mean, I think you know, I, I mean, we can certainly talk about Ray's film as you know, 1950s is a great period of New Realism, and a lot of these films, while they don't necessarily have naturalist dialogue per se, I mean, it is a lot of it is scripted, um, but it has this kind of very bleak realism. But at the same time, I think for our time, it did strike me as just remarkable stories of women and how women mm. are actually able to hold these communities together. Uh, yeah. I thought how interesting, right, that it's, that it's father, that the emphasis on the title is on pater, where we're actually, it's a film about mothering. I mean, it's kind of, um, it's remarkable. And I think that in, in, in Money Calls Daily Bread, it's also these intense intense relationship about women, um this kind of back and forth of how we're going to how we're going to defend each other, how we're going to stick up for one another if we can. And this question of whether we can, I mean, and Money Call is a very tragic scene where um, you know, one of the one sister is not able to protect the other and doesn't even actually suspect um that tragically um the, you know, assailant um uh is with uh, in the family, I mean it's actually her husband, right? Um so yeah but I think yeah and yeah, both of these films are just so beautifully shot I don't know I think yeah. they have to be admired so I think that Padapanchali is on uh, on Criterion and Daily Bread I'm I'm hoping that it's also screening in the US on it is. I think, think there is. is. Yeah. yeah I think right. it's on
1: Movie I want to say it's on yeah. Movie maybe I'm Yeah wrong. no it's de-
3: it's definitely on Movie because I I wrote about the film for a Movie um mm-hmm. But yeah, and I, I think we'll we're, we're probably have like another week to enjoy it. And and Money Call, I mean, what he does with images is just...
2: What I remember the most from that film is just the silence. He deploys sound very strategically uh, with a lot of like emotional strategism. And so there's these long silences that, again, emphasize the sense of sp- space and also her sense of aloneness uh, in her life, Uh and that's, I think, I don't know, that's something that really stands out in his artistry to me.
3: Mm. Sure. Yeah.
2: And a certain discontinuity in how he tells the story, kind
3: of not holding our hands, but letting us piece it together, which in his case, you know, turns out to be, I mean, in the case of this film and this particular story where, you know, a crime happens and, and it's a very tragic event the, the fact that we're always left a little bit in, in the suspense of having to piece it together, that it's at times fragmented visually. Sometimes it anticipates, you know, what's, what's going to happen, but we're kind of not in the know. I mean, it's really, it's, it's brilliantly done.
1: This is, this has been wonderful to listen <laughs> into. I'm almost forgetting to say anything, um, but it's <laughs> making me want to rewatch both movies and it's reminding me that now is not a, just a good time to like see things that i haven't seen but also revisit movies and 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 rediscover the the worlds in them i mean just it feels like so far the movies we've all been talking about so far we've kind of recast and kind of held up and turned turned in different directions to look at it in the light and find Mm -hmm. new ways of looking at them. And that's, uh, I don't know, that's, that's also a nice thing to do with our uh, enforced um, reflection time.
0: (laughs) There's so many
2: movies, there's movies you haven't seen before. There's movies you have seen before. There's old movies, new movies, movies from various parts of the world. It's, there's lots of movies (laughs) and it's hard to make decisions.
1: (laughs) Wait, so Devika, have you, did you have a chance to yeah. to settle into anything this weekend, or?
2: I did see. I I didn't see too much, but I did mm-hmm. see uh, Ash's purest white. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. yeah, which I hadn't That's seen. Fun. I mean, I saw it for the first time, so mm-hmm. it was my like very belated catch up. And uh, we've spoken a lot about it, you guys. Probably have more thoughts about it. I only saw it a couple of days ago, uh, but I immensely enjoyed it. I really didn't know much about it, and so I just loved the sort of tonal fluctuations uh, mm-hmm. and you know how it kind of sets up, sets up this action drama, this mob drama, and then it just so, goes into a different kind of territory. It becomes like sort of a melodrama. Uh, it's it it. It really goes into some strange places, but there's the there's a UFO that appears. Um, it also becomes a story of I this. I didn't
3: remember the UFO. That's that's cool. I yeah, that the it UFO. Just, How could I? Yeah, <laughs>
2: it it, it just came out of nowhere, and uh, and you know, just uh, the the lead actress uh, and that character, her savvy and her great pathos and. You know, she's both, like, so emotionally vulnerable and um, just feels so betrayed. And at the same time, she's so street smart, you know. She's, she's like, kind of became, like, her own, like, little kingpin in a way. And that's what she becomes. Yeah,
3: running the show.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. It was another case where just watching a really well-made movie where you can see the intentionality and the vision of the filmmaker and you see all the parts just like unfolding so beautifully. Mm. It just gave me a lot of satisfaction. And And I was thinking it would be, it really does make for such a good pair with the Irishman.
3: Really? Interesting. Yeah. Just a sense
2: of, you know, aging uh, gangsters and what, you know, what are, what happens after, what happens when you lose everything, what, that Mm -hmm. sort of thinking about what happens around and after this high octane life of crime and really leaning into the sort of affective sides of it, the regret, the longing, the, the growing old without, you know, without all that bravado and without maybe people around you to support you. I, I was yeah, very touched. And at the
3: same time, there's a lot of communal life. No, when I think of Jizangke, like I might not remember the exact turns in the plot, but I remember those scenes of the men playing cards and or gathering at the table and the intensity of some of those scenes.
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 then that, and then how she holds holds her own. Yeah, um, yeah, as well. Zhao Zhao Tao, great um, performance. Um, from her, yeah, and and just speaking of you mentioned the Irish from just the spanning of different eras in mm-hmm. in a life, you know right. the, the different people, different people you can become that, and you have to become, and um, that's yeah, that's that's definitely it's it's he he, he ja, ja, only seems to get more ambitious from one movie to the next in terms of how much terrain he's he's covering. I mean, you know. You have movies that are covering whole like whole upheavals in yeah. China. Other other movies that are like traveling into the future, even you know. And, yeah. So it's it's kind of amazing. I, and oh. with
2: this film, I think what struck me, what struck me as ambitious, is how small it ends up being. It's mm. it's kind of modest. Uh, it's just about this one woman and her emotional life, uh, of course, across a long period of time and against the backdrop of social and urban change but it just took me by surprise how sort of individualist individual the film was or hmm. not maybe that's not the right word but just sort of um how uh i guess humanist it was in a way and you know i i'm did you see his latest in berlin ella i don't think i
3: did it, it was a documentary right i missed that yeah yeah
2: and i mean we've talked about it so i won't rehash it but i guess i was uh, in that film too, I was just kind of surprised by how sort of gentle and unassuming it ended up being in which I think when it comes from, you know, great masters, like, uh, like, yeah, it's a kind of ambition. It's a kind of daring in itself.
3: It's wonderful though, the sense of reinvention now. Yeah. It's been so wonderful. I'm actually going through Twitter in my uh, spare time, which we all have now a lot. Um, through like all these tweets of film comment covers, because that's such an inspiration to like dig in and find additional films. Um, when I found that cover from my year of uh, Antonioni's Passenger, I just saw it this weekend because oh, it's great. a great cover. And I was like, I can't believe I haven't seen it. So anyway, yeah, that's, my, no, it's, it's, that's my new hobby, it, going through the <laughs> tweets, looking yeah, at no, film comment covers.
1: Yeah, it's been Full wonderful. on
3: nostalgia
1: yeah well, anyone who's listening now you can you can go to our our website and click on archive and see uh if there are any covers that um someone uh, tweeted you. that
2: this is the new astrology which I support totally <laughs> instead of <laughs> your uh star sign or whatever it is I'm unfamiliar with that world uh it is now your film comment birth cover that decides how your life unfolds exactly
3: right. so. exactly
1: so yes. be informed and look up your call comment birth cover lest you be yes. a lost soul forever yeah.
3: um, well thank you so much thank you devica and, and nicole yeah. oh, thank, thank you, you yeah, Ella, thank you thank you let's let's stay connected
1: yes absolutely across hemispheres uh yeah. sounds good all yeah. right well take care all, all well. the best to you and yours thank you, too. Right. Thank,
3: thank you thank you bye
1: thanks everyone for listening Bye bye Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.
0: Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, featuring an extensive interview with Kelly Reichardt, along with an essay on her latest, First Cow. Also, an interview with the directors of the fiery genre mashup Baccarat, Michael Kreski on The Perseverance of Cinema, Amy Taubin on Sundance Highlights, and Pietro Marcello on the inspiration behind his Martin Eden. Support independent, non-profit film journalism today at filmcomment.com.